And, and it's not just one or two. There's a whole bunch of you today. So uh, don't know what, what's going on or what Satan's trying to do to have victory in your life. Um, just put him down. Say, enough with you, Satan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at Jesus. I'm going to put my focus on him and follow him. Okay? That's, that's my prayer for all of us today. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe our faces will still be long at the end of the service, but maybe God will have touched our hearts and, and uh, will bless us from his word. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. I got a little housekeeping to do from last week to straighten some things out. And we'll get into the, the lesson for this week. <laughs> Every once in a moment, a while, and I, and I don't, that, that's why I study and plan and have notes, because I, I don't think quickly on my feet, okay? I, I would never join a debate team because I would drag it down, because I just, the, the, the wheels don't turn that fast up here, okay? They turn, they turn. Uh, last week we were talking about um, when, when Paul and, and uh, Barnabas set out on their second missionary journey that they split ways because Barnabas wanted to take his cousin John Mark and Paul wanted to, didn't want to take John Mark so he took somebody else and for the life of me I couldn't think of his name. Somebody came up with it but uh, if you look back just briefly at Acts 15 verse 36... Right at the beginning of the second missionary, I'm not going to read all the verses there, but you can make note, 36 to 41, that Paul took with him Silas, okay? It, it was Silas, somebody mentioned that, um, but for, for that momentary senior moment that I had last week, Silas's name did, just did not want to come to my brain or off my tongue. So it was Silas. Uh, so we can put that, to, put that one to bed. And then also, if you'll turn to Acts 18.18, 18, we were talking about Paul getting his hair cut. And I, I was, all I could place was that it was Ephesus, and I knew it wasn't. It was right before he went to Ephesus, towards the end of his second missionary journey. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren, put out to sea from Syria, for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Sancria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. Now, this is the end of the second missionary journey, and people want to tie in, in Acts 21, what we're going over today, back to that vow. The reason I don't buy that is because in between is the third missionary journey, and on the third missionary journey, we know that Paul spent at least three years in Ephesus, and probably another year going up and over through uh, let's see, through Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, before he came down to Athens and Corinth. So I, I, I find it just too... I, I don't think that if Paul was going to offer offerings for his vow of chapter 18, verse 18, I don't think that he would have waited three and a half plus years, three, possibly four, a little over four years, to offer the sacrifice when he got back to Jerusalem for it. Okay, so I'm not buying that part of it. So I, I don't think, I think it's a separate thing, and, and don't, don't confuse the two and, and merge them together, and, and hopefully that'll make a little bit more sense in a few minutes when we get back to chapter 21. 
Through the book of Acts, we talked repeatedly that Christ fulfilled the Christ fulfilled the law, Christ fulfilled the, the temple, and Christ fulfilled prophecy. Okay, let's, let's think about that first one for a minute. Christ fulfilled the law. Okay, you got the right answer, but what does that mean? Christ fulfilled the law. Well, the law was our teacher. Under the law in the Old Testament, the way they were forgiven their sins was to offer blood sacrifices. Depending on the sin or what the offering needed to be, uh, they, they would bring a goat or a lamb. Uh, and at different times, there was oxen involved. Some, If you were, didn't have money, you'd bring a dove, or there were other options for you to bring. But blood was going to be shed as part of the law. That's what, the, if you get into Leviticus, there would be pages and pages of reading of what offering applied to what, if it was a sin offering or a peace offering or or just exactly why you were there, what the offering was, told what you were supposed to bring. And Christ, by fulfilling the law, did away with that. There was no need anymore for blood sacrifice. His son, Jesus Christ, shed his blood once and for all for our sins. So the sacrifices were done. They didn't need to be done anymore. Okay? He fulfilled the temple. Well, what does that mean? Turn, open your word to, to 1 Corinthians 6.19. When, when at the moment that Christ was on the cross that he died, and he chose to give up his life at that moment, we know that the gospel account records that the, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. There's a lot of significance to that that we're not going to go into now. But the, the, the most important thing we want to point out is that when that veil was opened into the Holy of Holies, okay, up until that point, the priest would go in there, the high priest would go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement, and he, he, would, he was the only one that would go into the Holy of Holies. <coughs> Excuse me. He was the only one that had direct access to God. And if we remember, as the, as the Jews were coming out of Egypt and coming into the land after their 40-year wandering, they had, the, they had the tabernacle with them to signify the presence of the Lord. Remember the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night? <coughs> I wasn't dry at all this morning, excuse me. Um, the, the, the tabernacle signified the presence of the Lord. And then when they came into the land and they took over Jerusalem and they built, uh, Solomon built the temple. this word out there today
Christ fulfilled the temple. The temple wasn't required anymore. And early on in Acts, as we, as we studied and looked at it, we repeated many times that the Pharisees did not want that to be true. Because if it was true that Christ had fulfilled the temple, then they were no longer needed. Their significance on the meter, significance meter went from up here to about, you know, down here. I mean, they were still significant because God had a plan for their life too, okay? But as far as their significance in the temple, it was over. It was done. It was gone. Christ fulfilled the temple, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This now is the temple that takes the place of what Christ fulfilled in Jerusalem, in, uh, when he was crucified. When he rose again from the dead, the temple is done away with. We say we, we, this, this is a building. This is not the church. The church is the people. You are the church. We are the church. This building is not the church. And as part of that, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us. The temple is done away with. Fulfilling prophecies, they're, 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 there's nothing to do away with there. It's just that what was predicted by the prophets and in the Old Testament, Christ fulfilled, and it came true when he came to die for us. And it actually happened. Okay? So just, we, we, we need to have a good understanding of that. And, and I know that I've beat it into your heads over the last two years, but we, we just really need to understand that as, as we continue looking at chapter 21 here. First couple, two weeks ago, the first 14 verses of, of this chapter 21, uh, Peter was, or Paul, Peter, Paul was talking about the cost of discipleship. And, and sometimes in the Word of God, we know that we, we understand it by what is not there as much as by what is there. And as you recall, the disciples, Luke, his companions from the other churches, they were going back to Jerusalem with them to carry the money and the gifts to give to the church in Jerusalem that was in need, said, Paul, don't go. Agabus came and said, the spirits told me, you're gonna, if you go there, remember he bound, Agabus took Paul's belt and bound his hands and his feet? He says, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. But nowhere in the first part of chapter 21 is the Greek word o, or omega upsilon, or O-U, as, as if we were to look at it, that's what it would look like to us, which would definitely forbid... Paul to go to Jerusalem. That's not there. Nowhere. So we, we have a prediction, but not a prohibition. Nowhere did the Holy Spirit ever tell Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. He was warned that it was going to cost him something. And, and uh, Paul says, 
In chapter 20, verse 24, I do not consider my life on any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I had received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. God has a plan for your life, and if you're still here, he's not done with you. So get about it and and complete the ministry that he has for you while you're here on this earth, while you're here in Newberry. He has ministry for you to accomplish. So get about it. Get off your duff and do it. Then, then we continue down talking about uh, the, the Christian fellowship. We mentioned the number of times that the believers and the other disciples would kneel on the beach with him as he was getting on the boat to go to the next length of his journey before he got to Jerusalem. So the, the, he knew there was a cost to following Jesus, but he also had the companionship and friends and, and, and brothers and sisters in the Lord that were praying for him and encouraging him as he was on his way. Last week, Paul, in verse 19, chapter, Acts chapter 21, verse 19, he greeted them and began to tell them the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And, and the, the thing was, in, in the different cities, Ephesus, again, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, where he was going on these missions trips, or the, this last one, is he primarily he would go to the Jews first, although his ministry was to the Gentiles, he'd go to the Jews he would go to the synagogue, Acts 17, 2, as was his habit. According to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, but he would start out going to the Jews first, and then he would go to the Gentiles. And usually the Jews would kick him out because they, wanted, they didn't want to hear that the law was no more. They didn't want to hear that. That was their traditions. That's what they were steeped in. That's what they knew. That's what they were raised in. They didn't want to hear that the law wasn't applicable anymore. So they'd kick him out, throw him out, sometimes stone him, sometimes try to kill him, sometimes he'd escape over the wall, sometimes he got out at night. But he taught the word, they didn't want to hear it. And so we get back here, now we're in Jerusalem. Verse 20, when they heard this, they began glorifying God. They said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed, but that they are zealous for the law. They're, 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 they're not being taught properly because they still want to hang on to the law because that's where they find comfort. That's the comfort zone. And we talked about this last week, the, the conundrum, how two, two of my older commentaries, commentators believe that, that what Paul and James concocted here was not right. And I agree with them. There's three more that are newer, newer modern, moderner, that's really bad grammar, more modern authors, writers, and they disagree, and they said, no, this was justified because it was a cultural thing. I don't buy that. And, of course, remember the, the sixth guy, he was the smartest one of the, of the six of my commentators because he didn't even talk about it. He didn't address it one way or the other. Didn't even want to go there. But if you read here, um, James says, I've got an idea. If we, if we 
have you pay for these four guys that we got here that are, are, are uh, done with their vows. If, if you will pay for them to get their hair cut, and then you wait for the week, and then you'll pay for their offerings in a week to, to conclude their vows, then the Jews here in Jerusalem that want to hang on to the law will think that, that what they've heard about you when you were in Asia Minor, in, in Macedonia, in, in Greece, because they've heard that you told the Jews there to give up the law and not follow it. But, but that's, that's not going to fly here. So we need, to, we need to deceive these people. Okay, that's not the word he's using, but he says, we need to deceive these people so that they'll accept you. They'll think you're okay. You're kosher because you're going to pay for these guys to get their hair cut and to, to offer the offerings to, to finish their vows. So th- this is how we're going to smooth this over. Guys, if, if the people back in Greece and Asia Minor and, and Macedonia hear that Paul did this, they'll think he's just a phony baloney. Because everything he taught them then, when he was there, he's going against now that he's back in Jerusalem. Folks, when you know the Word of God and you know what the truth is, stand on it. Don't waffle. Don't waver. Stand firm. Stand strong. Even if it's not popular in the culture, I'd rather be popular with God than with the culture, okay? I don't know where any of you are at. I think most of you, if not all of you, are on the same, same sidewalk I'm walking on. Is I'd much rather have the approval of my God and Creator and Savior, Jesus Christ, than society around me. So we got to stay true to the Word of God. And I, and I told you last week that, therefore, do this, that we, what we tell you. The beginning of verse 23, that's where James starts saying, okay, this is, this is the plan. This is what we've concocted up so that, you can, so that we can smooth it over with the Jews here that still want to hang on to the law. Wrong, James. Teach the Jews in Jerusalem that the law is gone. That they don't need to live by it. That it's, it's not for you anymore. Christ fulfilled the law. Christ fulfilled the temple. It's done. It's over with. Move on. And, and you know, the only, the only I, I don't know if the temple would still be going today, but in 70 AD, the Romans came in and destroyed it, thank goodness, because it actually made the Jews start living like they should have been living and not offering sacrifices in the temple. Because it wasn't there anymore. It was destroyed. So I guess the Jews should thank the Romans for that. Although they weren't thanking them because they still wanted to do it. And they shouldn't have been doing it. Middle of verse 24. All will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. Wrong answer. It's the wrong answer, people. He shouldn't have been keeping the law, and he shouldn't have been trying to deceive anybody into believing that he was still obeying the law. Because Christ fulfilled the law. It's done. It's gone. Jesus Christ died once and for all. His shed blood was for all of our sins. He didn't need to do blood sacrifices in the temple anymore. It wasn't, wasn't worth anything. You were wasting your time and money. Because the work was finished. It was done by Jesus Christ. 
Unfortunately, Paul played along with it. Verse 26, Paul took the men in the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. There would be a, a he, he, he was going to make a sacrifice at the end of his purification because he'd been away from the temple for so long and one of the laws was you, you couldn't go into the temple unless you were purified. And he'd been out of town for way too long. His purification ran out, so to say. And he needed to do that. So he was going to offer his, his offering for the purification when the other four dudes that got their hair cut were going to offer their sacrifices. And so it would look like he was just stepping in line, stepping right in line, doing what he was supposed to do. And the title of the sermon is God Did Not Permit It. Sometimes... Sometimes God does some things that we, we may not necessarily agree with, but he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. We might not like it. It might hurt. It might not be fun. God knows what he's doing, people. God knows what he's doing. Okay? In verse 27 there, and when the seven days were almost over, okay, so now we know that the term, uh, there, there, there would be different uh, lengths of time for purification for different causes and different things under the law. Um, yeah, you know, there, there was just so many different ways you had to, the, the priest studied pretty hard to figure, to, to learn all that. And, and they had many years of learning that stuff before they could even become a priest. I'm not going to even act like I know what all the rules were because I don't need to, I, I, I need to spend my time on, on the gospel, not on what the Jews used to have to do. But the seven days is almost over. Almost over. God did not permit Paul to sink to that level. Although it was Paul's intent to. Paul, Paul was going to go along with James to uh, assuage, to pacify, to mollify, whatever word you want to use, the Jews in Jerusalem that still wanted to live under the law. God didn't permit it. Verse 27, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the multitude, and they laid hands on him, crying, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all the men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. Come help us. We've got to get this guy out of the temple. If you catch what they were shouting about, it follows right down the line. He preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law. Well, he wasn't preaching against the law. He was just telling them that the law had been fulfilled. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. And this place, what place? The temple. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the temple. It's almost like they were listening to what we were going to preach, right? They're trying to address all of it. They're, they're charging Paul for preaching against the law in the temple. It's interesting that they want to kick him out of the temple is that he was in the process of going through the purification, although he, he didn't need to do that because he didn't need to go to the temple because the temple was done away with. But 
their, their, well, their, their first accusation against him is what he was actually doing. He was purifying, even though he didn't need to be, shouldn't have been, he was purifying himself so he could go in the temple. And they, they want to kick him out because he's not purified, okay? Which is just, just kind of funny and ironic, but anyhow, you continue on there. And besides, he had even brought Greeks into the temple and had defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They made an assumption. They said, well, we see you walking around town with this Ephesian. He's a Gentile. And the, 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 the penalty for taking a Gentile into the temple was death, physical death, Okay? And here they're accusing, we, we, we want to get rid of this guy who's teaching against the law in the temple. And so we're going to accuse him of something that he didn't do, but we're going to assume that he did because we saw him walking around town with this guy. So he must have taken him into the temple, right? Eh, wrong answer again. Wrong answer. He never took him into the temple. Remember, if you remember, before Paul came to Christ, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew all the rules. He wouldn't have gone there. He knew he was already going to be in enough trouble. He didn't need to bring more on himself. So no. But what, 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 what do we need to learn and understand there? When there's a problem, go get the word right from the horse's mouth, Okay? If, if, if you think somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing, or if it's something you don't like, heaven forbid, don't pass rumors around. Don't talk about them behind their back. That old saying, if you won't... Oh, I, I don't like that one because I catch myself on that one sometimes. If you wouldn't say it to their face, you shouldn't say it at all. Hmm. I called, I called a horse this earlier this week because I wanted it straight from his mouth. I said, I've heard this and this. Is this true? And then he has a chance to confirm or deny. Folks, these people got, got themselves into trouble by assuming something that didn't happen. And it's one of the tools that Satan will use to destroy and tear apart and tear down. It's one thing the political system in our country wants to do today. You divide and conquer, right? That's what the, that's what the, the generals on the battlefields have been doing for millennials. As you divide and conquer, it's easier to beat two small parts than one big part. Think of the ambush at AI as an example. But if we can divide... And you get half of you saying this about the pastor and some of y'all saying this about the pastor and then you go talk, talking through town about the pastor, this, pastor, that, whatever. That divides the church. It ruins our effectiveness in town. And Satan laughs all the way to the bank. Don't assume nothing. Okay? Go to the person. If you don't like the fact that they wore purple socks with their, with their orange tie that week, say, hey, I got a problem with what you're wearing, man. 
Go to them. Don't talk about them behind their back. Go talk to them. Find out the truth. Maybe the laundry ate up his other tie. I don't know. Go talk to people. I know it sounds silly, and it's really basic, and it's really simple. But, oh, the damage it can do. It's closed church doors. It's split churches. It ruins people's ministries. Don't do it. So these guys assume something and something that wasn't there. Verse 3, and, and, and this, this, is a, this is a familiar verse. If, if you've traveled with Paul at all through the book of Acts, this is a, a verse that's very familiar. All the city was aroused. Seems wherever Paul went, he'd always get the city stirred up. Well, it wasn't Paul. It was the Jews that didn't want to believe that the law was done and gone. And since he preached the word of God and preached against that, they got excited and they said, we've got to get this guy out of town, so let's get a riot. That's the easiest way. And then they can't pin it on us because it's the whole mob doing it. The people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. Verse 31, while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And at once he took along some soldiers, centurions, and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. <laughs> gotcha. Oh. They stopped when the Roman commander got there. In verse 33, the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. Just to point out quickly, verse 30, when the people rushed in, they took hold of Paul. And in verse 33, the commander came up and he took hold of Paul. It's the same Greek verb. I can try to say it, but I'd probably slaughter it. Eralambanomai. Sorry if you know Greek and can speak it better than that. I'm sure I just slaughtered it. But it's, it's, the, same, it's the same verb that's used. The mob did it to try to murder the man. The Roman commander didn't necessarily do it to, to save Paul's life. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to restore peace to the city, to, to settle the chaos and the confusion, the madness, because that was what the Romans were supposed to do there. And, and it's, and it's kind of interesting. Do you know where the, the Roman garrison was? It was right on the northwest corner of the temple. No, it wasn't downtown or, you know, 20 blocks over. It wasn't out in the country. No, no right on the corner. Of the, why? Because they knew that's where the trouble would be. That's where the trouble would come. Isn't that sad? The political military rulers of the day knew that if there was going to be trouble in Jerusalem, it was going to come from the temple. How sad is that? How sad is that? that they knew if there was grief or any problems, it was going to come from the temple. It's my prayer that we would cause problems in Newberry, not like this, not to cause riots, but that we would stir it up with the message of Jesus Christ, the message of his love, and the message of his forgiveness. Because that's what this town needs. 
Verse 33, bound him with two chains. If you just jump back to verse, same chapter, verse 11 real quick, when we were talking about Agabus came down. He came down and he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and his hands. He was foretelling what was going to come. And here in verse 33, we have it, two chains, one for his hands and one for his feet. Not a big prophecy, not anything earth-shaking, but just to, to verify that God was at work there, the prophecy is fulfilled and it's true. Just a, a, just, just a little window, just a, a small thing. But even in the small things, God's got it. He's got it, folks. He's got it and he's going to take care of it. He'll take care of you. Among the crowd, verse 34, some were shouting one thing and some another. When they could not find out the facts on account of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he got to the stairs, it so happened that he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following behind, crying out, Away with him! Away with him! Does that have a familiar ring to it? Who else do we know that the Jews shouted, Away with him! Away with him! Give us Barabbas! Away with him! Yeah. Yeah. These were some angry people. But that's what happens when you're confronted with the truth. I don't like it when the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to convict me of my sin. I get angry. How many of us like being told we're wrong? <laughs> No, no, no takers, okay. I gave you a chance. Away with him, just like they shouted to Pilate because they wanted, they wanted Barabbas, but they wanted Pilate to take and crucify Jesus Christ. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Well, he obviously did because he was talking to him in Greek. That was kind of a silly question. Then you are not the Egyptian that sometimes stirred up ago a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. Again, an assumption had been made. And again, they're wrong. This was the, the Roman commander, though, in this case. Paul said, I'm a Jew of Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand, and there was a great hush, and he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, you're going to have to come back next week for chapter 22, but if you think back to last week, chapter 22 is the first of the five trials and defenses that Paul gives uh, of the accusations and that on his way to Rome. There's this one in 23, 24, 25, 26, each chapter has his own defense on his way to Rome. Defense of the faith, defense of the truth, telling, telling the people what he's about and who, who Jesus was about. 
They dragged him out of the temple. They shouted away with him. Fortunately, God did not permit Paul to go to the temple to give those sacrifices with those other four guys that got their head shaved. Because if they had, it would have ruined his testimony. But look at the price he's going to pay. God has a plan for your life. He knows your name. He loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. that I may finish my course in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Folks, we're not going to grow unless we're about the ministry of sharing the word of God, telling people that don't know Jesus that our great God and Savior has a plan for their life and that he loves them he knows their name. He has a plan. But we have to get them the word. We have to get them the message. We have to get them the truth. They're not just going to know it. Because Satan's out there doing everything that he can to make sure they don't. Fulfill the ministry. Do the work. Be about it. Preach the word, preach the word through your life, and preach the word through words. Because if we're not telling about people about Jesus Christ, one, how do we expect them to come to him? And two, how do we expect that we as a body are going to grow? Again, my sister, when I was in junior high, gave me two three-by-five cards. One of them had a quote on it that said, green is growing, ripe is rotting. If we're not growing, folks, we're rotting. We need to be growing. And the only way that's going to happen is if we tell others about Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the testimony of Paul. Thank you for keeping him from uh, giving those sacrifices because he was trying to appease the brothers in Jerusalem. Thank you for not allowing that to happen so that he didn't have to explain that away later on. Father, thank you for keeping us from doing stupid stuff sometimes. And then there's sometimes you let us do it so that we'll learn. Father, we need to turn to your word. We need to know it. We need to stand firm on it. We need to not waver or buckle because we might be embarrassed Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, if we won't confess you before men, you will not confess us before the Father. And that would be a bad day. Father, help us to live and walk with you. To spend time to be in your word, to know you. And then to accomplish the plan and the ministry that you have for us to do.
thank you, Father, again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take about a five-minute break, and then we'll head right into our business meeting.